Welcome to SaaS Backstage. I'm your host Nishant Goyal and with co-host Vishal Rivari on this podcast we go behind the curtains talking to people who built and grew SaaS companies from ground up. Today our guest is MT Rajan, managing partner at Upeka, a value SaaS accelerator and early stage fund. With over a decade of experience with SaaS growth and merger and acquisitions and strong affinity towards podcasts, today we will discuss the topics like what is value saas how should a saas startup think about funding and how the founders should prepare for merger and acquisitions along with other questions and some fun banter being in a saas company you should always expect the unexpected and look for ways to grow faster and stronger and this is a chance to learn from the guy who advised more saas companies to growth than you probably used today so let's jump right in Rajan, thank you so much for joining and I am super duper excited to host you. I have been known about Opeka since 2019 as, as I said and I was in conversation earlier. Thank you so much for taking our time and thank you for doing this especially on a Friday night and attending at this ungodly hour. <laughs> But thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. So uh, Vishal, thank you for having me on the hour. i would say any founder from india that is building for the global they'll have to be very comfortable with this kind of hour because if you have to be cross border if you have to be global then yeah you have to work uh, across time zones yes so i think you know that's the first muscle that anybody has to build yes absolutely totally agree so yeah so this is like you know an interesting hour where one time zone is winding up another time zone is is taking off Like, yes. you know, the building part is is winding up, and then the buying part is waking up. So yes, yeah. Australia opens up by the time we are about to sleep at three o'clock in the morning, and then Australia opens up, and they're just starting their day. So it's like all together at the same time. But yeah, rightly said. So yeah, thank you, thank you so much. Nishant has prepared some questions that he was super excited to talk to you first. So Nishant, over to you, and then we can get started on. Absolutely. Thanks, Vishal. So uh, when uh, Vishal told me that uh, you are coming on the podcast episode tonight, so I went through a lot of your content and even your podcast episode with the Value SaaS podcast, the second episode. So first of all, like, why did you start Opeka? So Opeka was founded in 2017. Did this with uh, two other co-founders, uh, Prasanna Krishnamurthy and Shekhar Nair. Prasanna and I have worked in the startup industry in SaaS for the last decade plus or so, and when we worked with startups back then, what we realized is that many startups, when they think about building a startup, they would come and say, "Oh, okay, I I need to come up with an idea," and that's the most first exciting step. And then the second most exciting step is that they think that you know, hey, we need funding, and they think that that is the next step to make progress. And then many people will go down that path and. Uh, some will actually even succeed and then of those people who succeeded in raising funding what we saw is that 8 or 9 out of 10 of them actually don't really go very far and why this happens is because they think funding is the most important step but what they have not realized is that the most important step is is to get to what the industry calls as product market fit you know finding a customer solving a pain point and then that solving of pain point is leading to revenue in such a way that you can become self sustainable and many startups that we work with we saw that you know they they get stuck even if they had funds in the hand and they are not able to create any meaningful founder outcome for themselves 
And when we looked at startups, especially in B2B and SaaS, we said, look, in consumer, you can raise a lot of funding because the dynamics in consumer is it's a winner takes all. And sometimes you have to take a lot of funding to win the game in consumer because you want to collect and gather all the resources. But in B2B, that is not the case. B2B is not winner takes all. Yeah. So companies that are in third, fourth, fifth position in a particular category, they also can be become large and build a great business. So the strategy that is applied for a B2C does not necessarily need to be applied for a B2B or a SaaS company. And sometimes what happens is when they raise funding, the funding also comes with its own expectation. I often say that, you know, getting venture funding is like getting rocket fuel. And if your startup is, is not ready, your startup's engine is, is not ready to consume rocket fuel, your startup itself is, is not a jet rocket, then having that rocket fuel can lead to corrosive output, right? You know, it can explode. And so if your engine is, is not a rocket and it's more like an auto, then first strengthen it to become a Ferrari and then let the Ferrari engine can become more stronger like a rocket. And then you can take uh, the rocket fuel in it. So many people make this mistake of taking rocket fuel when they are an auto and then explode. So we were very agitated by this. We said, look, how do we bring our experience? How do we bring our network to help people build that flywheel that we called as and turn their engine of growth into a Ferrari engine, right? If they are not a Ferrari engine, then don't take rocket fuel. You can still run a meaningful path, right? So so this was one of the things that uh, we saw working across uh, at least about 100 startups. And in B2B SaaS, it was possible to build uh, profitable businesses without having a lot of money. So we said, look, get to your first million dollar in revenue. And then after that, decide. Don't decide on the day when you have started a company, put together a presentation, put together a team that, you know, immediately I'm going to take rocket fuel. Once you have gotten to a place, then make that choice. So that was our inspiration. At that particular point in time, we had seen a lot of startups who did not take in a lot of money and did decently well. And we had seen a lot of startups who had taken a lot of money and uh, you know it uh, turned out to $0 into founder's pocket after seven years, 10 years. And we said, you know, we need to change this. And that's where we came up with this whole idea of build capital efficient growth companies, which is very much possible in uh, B2B SaaS. And uh, we call this as value SaaS. And we said, you know, when you build it this way, then you as founders have a lot of options to move forward. Either you can be a Zoho or you can be a Freshworks or you can be a company like a Minjar or a Cloudchery that could lead to meaningful exit. So a founder forever, a founder that gets some meaningful exits, or you can build a hyperscale company to get to IPO in 10, 12 years. So that was the origin of uh, what uh, led us to start Upeka and the path that we work with and uh, the path that we advocate. Makes a lot of sense. I'm going to remember that's analog rocket fuel. Yeah. Plus you also answer the question, what's value SaaS? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it actually resonates to... Identically with one of your statements, like go big or go home, that statement that it's not right. You should not follow this. There are a lot of other ways than just go big or go home. That's right. That's right. A go big or go home actually does not work for a founder. Right? And as a founder, you don't want to be like a bet, right? You want to take the bets. So when you become the bet, then you're not going to be in a great position. So go big or go home okay. turns you into a bed. But when you are very thoughtful and then say, okay, what are the bed? What are the paths? What are the choices that I'm going to uh, keep in control with myself? This is what is going to allow you to win a game. To First of all, to win any game, you have to survive. 
And that is rule, unwritten rule number one for winning any game. And in trying to sort of just, you know, hit it out of the park, if you kill yourself, then you're not going to be able to win. So that is where the go big, go home does not work well for founders at all. Because as founders, it's not like, you know, you're building 10 companies. I mean, you're just building one companies, right? But somebody who's like, you know, outside and then they are investing in 10 companies for them, like, you know, any one that wins could be good. But uh, that doesn't work for a founder that well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And one more statement that you once put out on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Lack of clarity is yeah. a mind killer, yeah. not fear. Fear is merely there due to lack of clarity. That's right. So you know, fear is a mind killer, I think, is a quote that comes out of Dune. And off and on when we work with founders, what we realize is that most of the folks in the zone of startups, I actually call this as that, you know, we're working in the zone of, I would call it Bermuda Triangle. And it's a very, very messy phase. Like, and we call this the zero to one stage. This is, and you can just equate it to saying, you know, how do I get from zero dollars to one million dollars? And what happens is, we've seen this through years of observation, is that for every path that works, an equal and opposite path also works. So somebody would come and say, you know, the only way to build companies is that you have to have higher sales folks, and sales folks will come and uh, crack million dollar deals and that's how you can do okay. uh, enterprise building, right? And then, like, you know, that is the thumb rule and that is turned into a gospel at that level. And then anybody who's trying to do something else is like, you know, poo-pooed, right? And then somebody will come along and then they will challenge that notion and build a hey.com or build a notion. And then they'll say, okay, I'm going to build this great product. And because of the great product, there's going to be word of mouth. That word of mouth is going to lead to a lot of users. And that may be even turned into viral. So they'll come up with a way saying that, look, using product also, I can do it. I don't have to have a lot of sales guy. Then somebody else will come along and say, hey, I don't have to build a great product. I don't have to have sales, but I can sit in one like you know inexpensive place and I can do great marketing. And that great marketing will get us noticed. I'll just build an average product and the great marketing will get us noticed. And that is another way that I can win. Now in this zone of like, you know, this path can be taken and equal and opposite path can be taken. What is the right path for me is, is where people get confused. And when you are confused, you are not able to move forward. Imagine like, you know, you have to go from one place to another place. And you're like, I don't know whether going this way is going to help me to a million or get over the zero to one. Going towards left is going to help me towards uh, zero to one million. And that is the killer for a startup, right? And that lack of clarity yeah. is the killer as opposed yeah. to the fear. So yeah, so yes. that is what I meant by saying this uh, lack of clarity yeah. that is the killer. You are right. You're right. Even when we talk to the early stage founders, they just want to do everything. I mean... They just want to be like every place, but they're not clear in their own minds, like how they want to go about and do it all. Is that a good path for them? Or And one of the founders uh, that we worked with, you know, he said, this was very funny. He said, look, I might be wrong, but I'm not confused. Right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, that's a good And in, <laughs> in startup, wow. you have to have like a point of view. You need to head into a direction, but... You should not be confused yes. because if you're confused, you're not able to take action. And, you know, action is, is what is going to help you with more clarity. So you need to have a point yeah. of view. You need to work on that. You have to continuously tinker and experiment. 
and uh, make progress forward. That direction may be a wrong direction, but you're not confused. And not having that confusion is what is allowing you to make progress. Yeah. So how do we get rid of that confusion? If someone has a confusion, then how do that person get rid of it or solves the confusion and chooses one path? Right. Oh, it's a fantastic question, right? So few few of the things that I said earlier are very related. So number one is, is that when you are in the path of entrepreneurship, you're trying to build any business, SaaS business or not, the number one thing that you have to keep in mind is that you not die. Okay. Right. Um, and uh, not dying is, is most important, right? So being explicitly advocating is not take the go big or go home approach is because that can make you take paths that can lead you to die. So you have to have some thumb rules, right? On how do you navigate this? And the path of entrepreneurship, building any startup involves dealing with uncertainty. And dealing with uncertainties yeah. is where a lot of this confusion comes up. Like most of us, when we're working in a large company or in a large environment, we are not dealing with uncertainty. We are dealing with complexity. Complexity of working with colleagues, complexity of working with multiple organizations, with teams. And then how do you make sure that that complexity is solved in a way that, you know, it realizes a business outcome? Because in large organization, the uncertainty has been evoked. Some predictability is there, but this complexity is, is what is a problem. In startups, it is always the uncertainty. So it's always a question of how do I know, right? You know, whether I need to be able to focus on this or whether I need to talk to this type of customers, whether I choose this geography, etc. So there are thumb rules. And one of the thumb rules that we like to use is this, uh, something called as effectuation, where uh, these are like set of thumb rules that one of our advisors has studied and had figured that, you know, entrepreneurs who are experts and exp by experts, she means people who have uh, built multiple IPO businesses, multiple exits. There are some traits that uh, they follow. One is that they'll always not focus on market research. They'll focus on what people are doing in terms of behavior. So they will go ahead and say, look, okay. um, yeah, I have this vision. And uh, they'll have a conversation with the customer and then say, uh, I'd like to work with you. What will it take for me to work with you together? Right. And that way they are co-opting the behavior of customers okay. that they are working with. Right. And then the other, other okay. like, you know, thumb rule or the other thing that uh, expert entrepreneurs do is, is that, you know, they don't get demotivated by surprises. They actually leverage surprises okay. and then say, oh, wow, like, you know, this surprise happened. That means my mental model about this particular aspect of the world was wrong. Uh, it's called as a lemonade principle saying that if uh, life hands you a lemon, then you make a lemonade out of it. So they don't hate surprises. They savor surprises. Right? If you think uh, really about this, then it is making sense of reality by rooting yourself in conversation with people and then the behavior of the people. Right? And you make some mental model assumption yeah. of saying that this is how the world is going to work. And then... When you interact with the world, then a surprise happens. You think, you know, everything is going great and suddenly inflation happens. And then you are like, you know, you're not able to um, like, you know, hold jobs or things like that. And then you're like, oh, why did this happen? Instead of saying, why did this happen? You say, wow, this happened. And what is it that I can do out of this? Right? So following okay. some of these principles, which allow you to deal with uncertainty, uh, is this one way you are able to navigate this turbulence of, Okay, um, like, you know, this Bermuda Triangle. The other thing that helps a lot is 
um something very very basic right so you, you root yourself by having like you know prospect or customer conversation and immerse yourself into understanding the domain by going and saying hey what is happening here what will it take do you care about this so that way you are rooted in reality when you are building a product also the other dimension of this is having conversations with stakeholders having conversations with your competitors having conversation with investors or like you know analyst or anybody else who has like deeper understanding of that particular market many people hesitate to have conversation with customers thinking why why would they speak to us why would they share but you would be surprised that you know a lot of the competitors are willing to work with you because they are maybe you are in an early stage and they are saying okay how do we shape the industry together right so when you speak with customers yeah. we speak with competitors stakeholders then you build a mental map of your industry which is rooted in reality yeah and when you take choices after framing this map in such a way that you survive you don't die and uh, you constantly are updating the map by taking one surprise at a time and then saying look maybe my map was wrong and not that you know i made a mistake and you continue to make progress that is how you create more clarity and making progress from one place to another one of the most important elements of this that we found it the most powerful is when you are having conversations with fellow founders okay fellow travelers who have gone through the path that you have gone through not 10 years ago yeah. but one year ago and that is why we are pretty big on peer learning we bring founders together we bring we we built a very strong community and then say okay so someone who is at about 100k or 500k of arr talk to someone who crossed a million dollar arr almost a year ago and find out like you know what is it that is happening mm. and what are the things that are working yeah. but then know that you cannot copy their playbooks because there's no such thing as a playbook because what worked for him may not work for you right so you that. you understand their experience but you take it and contextualize it in your own map that you are building and then say what's the right path that i need to take okay and as long as you are taking steps in a way that it doesn't kill you then yeah you're going to be all right yeah playbook is basically like reading a biography you can read bill gates biography absolutely. but you can't follow it absolutely you know step by step yeah that's a very interesting take especially at a time when everyone out there is looking for a playbook to follow and copy yeah look the thing about playbook is for every playbook that works an equal and opposite playbook also works <laughs> yep exactly <laughs> <laughs> okay but, but we are living in a very interesting time like there's both the talks like public saas companies are getting devalued there's some people are calling like winter funding and everything at this time like how opeka is trying to help the founders in their in their purview helping out specifically in, in this focus like what is the thought process around around this thing so it, uh, like this is how they should approach saas at this time hoping that the next 12 months are going to be like this like there would be a lot of uncertainty there would be a lot of ups and downs what is the thought process that you are trying to imbibe into the founders that you are meeting in today's time sure so in a fantastic question so we've been yeah. <laughs> we've been having this conversation for a while i would say about 6 months now um and there was this conversation about winter is somebody who's been living in the cold all their life you know for them it has always been winter yeah. so all the folks that have been 
trying to grow in a very capital efficient way through their own choice they had they had put constraints on themselves they go ahead and raise expectation on their startups with respect to the broader market saying that you know we are only x amount of arr and give us 50x of that right and most of the folks who have grown capital efficient have been very prudent have even if they raised money and then raised external valuation they didn't go beyond let's say 8x or 10x right so what is happening in the market today is is that yeah if you look at like in you know, the public market multiples people first said that you know it dropped down to pre covid levels then 2018 levels and then 2016 yeah. levels and 2016 yeah. levels it almost to me feels like you know it's it's the pendulum has swung far towards the left side because like you know it also swung to 50x and 100x at least 30x in the public market right so um, i think you know the valuation will have regression to the mean which is that it will come back to the 2018 19 uh, definitely like you know pre covid levels it will definitely not stay at the 2016 levels and if you actually look at this from a very broad 20 40 years kind of a time frame um and zoom out to that level then you, and that's what gives me the confidence that you know it will come back to that particular level with respect to upeka founders or people that are building in valleys as they were all always living as if there was winter right so for them it is not much of a change in fact um like you know the warren buffett quote right saying now be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful this is the time for all the valley sas companies to like you know turbocharge all the investments that they wanted to make absolutely just like you know if they were not very big on making uh, investments into paid marketing now is a great time because uh, like everybody is cutting on paid marketing and <laughs> um, you know these guys should uh, be able to go ahead and accelerate right in in several several areas correct so in terms of like you know adjustments the adjustments that you know a lot of twitter threads are propping up saying you know relook at your um, like spend relook at your how you are uh, doing uh, team outings and relook at you know what are the software tools that you are using this was an exercise that was being done already right and these are companies that were not dependent on the next round of funding to exist they were dependent on yeah. customer revenue okay. for their existence so they were already taking the tough path so for them survival doesn't need depend on like you know external source of oxygen survival depends on you know their ability of their body itself to find the oxygen that they need to survive they are not going to have like survival issue and those that are going to thrive are the ones who would adopt the warren buffet mindset of saying look everybody else is, is very very fearful how do we be very opportunistic and change the gear now for us to uh, grow faster than the rest of the market so rajan you are a positioning expert but how would you explain positioning in saas to a 5 year old kid positioning uh, to a 5 year old um in saas i mean see positioning is is very very you know relevant anywhere everybody in the world when they are interacting with you they will put you into a slot like you know when you and i are having this conversation Vishal, you are trying to either put me into are you a product expert, are you a positioning expert, are you an investment expert, right? Um, so everybody judges you, right? And they use very very okay. little information to make that judgment. And the easiest way to make that okay. judgment is is what can I associate you with, right? What do I already know mm. uh, that I can associate you with, right? Now if I'm a five year old, I can I may only know 
like you know good man bad man interesting man that brings me toffee right <laughs> and a man who is like you know very very uninteresting like here is this uninteresting person who's a friend of my father but never give, brings me any books or chocolates right so that's the way people will associate you with right or he is a interesting storyteller he is someone who plays really nicely with you that is how people make sense of the world right and if you don't control yeah. how people associate you with then you know you will you will be slotted into some place right you know and that will not help you with some of the objectives that you might have in mind right like um, like okay. one of the things that i was just thinking about when you're asking me this question is is like let's say like you know you run a restaurant right and that as restaurant has like you know great italian cuisine but if it is called as venkateshwar artisans right <laughs> people come in there <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> there okay. is going to be a disconnect <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> you're not going to find okay. you're not yes. going to find uh, like you know like you know a, a good like you know coherent picture there if right? you walk into venkateshwara difference you are not going to you're going to expect idli and chacho bar right you are not going to find italian cuisine there right so should the tiffin center call themselves as venkateshwara tiffins if they are like you know an experts at italian cuisine right when we make it about like food and something that you know is so very tangible they're like okay what are you talking about it's laughable who would name a restaurant like venkateshwara tiffin and when when you are talking about italian cuisine right but then when you take it and apply it to let's say a job or like you know a product that you're building and especially if it is like a product like a software product or a saas which cannot be touched and felt right often you may be building a product which is developing italian cuisine right but you are calling it as venkateshwara tiffins right and that leads to so much of chaos and so much of like confusion so much of lack of clarity that you lose business so that is the importance of yeah positioning but then positioning just just starts with this but let's say if you are on a street and then there are like you know let's say you got the name right right you said you know mama goto is the name of the restaurant right and then you said um, like you know chianti right and then you said you no know, italian noodles right and then all of these are in the same street right how do you decide i mean as a end user how do you decide that you know you walk into one of these how do you ensure as one of the restaurant owners to attract people to come to your restaurant over the like you know restaurant towards your right and left who are still giving the same offering so then the next important thing that you have to keep in mind is is differentiate so you have to first associate you have to create the right association yeah. and control that association so that the world doesn't slot you into wrong buckets yeah like venkateshwara different and italian cuisine Correct. but once you have found the right association <laughs> you have to stand out yes so that like your customers yeah. are then able to walk to you if you don't differentiate you die and that is the most important thing from a positioning perspective yeah. so when we do positioning we get people to do this one very simple x axis and y axis right and mostly okay. you know with founders they absolutely resonate with this like okay you know i have like an engineering type concept and on the x axis you put okay what are the category what are the association are you a crm are you an italian restaurant right are you a d2c brand yeah right that is fine and then you know if you are a crm you may have salesforce you may have v tiger you may have five uh, crm 
right so you might be like 100 other crm right but then on the differentiation axis you then say what should be the different oh we are that crm that works absolutely gorgeously well when you have to integrate with social media features support tickets that are coming from social media got it then you can say okay in this quadrant of x axis and y axis where social yeah. feature like inbuilt social integration and crm we are the best salesforce is not the best yeah pipe drive is not the best we tiger is not the best sugar crm is not the best my crm is the best that is what positioning is and when you solve for that yeah right then you solve for like you know okay i'm walking into the right place but out of the so many other right place that is possible yeah i'm going into the one that you know i care about you place yourself in the right container in your audience and the customers head and then therefore they choose you yes. over other competitor and when you make that choice very explicitly right then uh, you win half of the battle in the business got it so can you tell me a little bit more about upfront which you have recently started and how are you guys helping with fast companies so in today's uh, day and language uh, vishal i would say upfront is a pre seed fund however the best way to think okay. about opeka as a whole is, is a lot of the founders and saas they refer to us as by combinator of saas and what it means is that you know every startup that joins us they get a 100k funding okay everyone that joins you okay we use a convertible note structure which is called as nbvc nice okay if you know safe safe is a convertible note safe and nbvc are like cousins yes. siblings how they convert from the convertible note of part of the debt to equities is where it differs so that way up fund is like an investment that comes across with all the startups that join us however since we started that almost year and a half years before not at the time when we started opeka is where it stands out and comes across as a like a different component but when founders join us now they get a bundle of our community the program and the 100k funding right but if you think specifically about it as a fund it is a pre seed fund about um, many of the top indian uh, saas investors and uh, saas founders are are investors in that fund and uh, we have set okay. it up on angel list when angel list had released feature of rolling fund almost a year and a half ago so that was a i would say a trigger for us to do it because running a fund is very very complicated angel lister took away a lot of the pain of running a fund so we are a rolling fund that way which is only relevant for a person who is investing in it which is only the lps because it makes it easy for some any lps to invest in through small amounts of money and then do it on a regular basis as opposed to committing like one large chunk of money um across like you know multiple years yeah and i've been meaning to ask you like how are you seeing saas leveraging mna in the current times like is this something that you're seeing as a trend that is picking up or how are you seeing mna practice coming in specifically in, in saas like we know salesforce getting acquiring slack last year but those are like big deals like how are you seeing mna at the small level and, and at the larger level that so if you track the data in general and add on like when should you actually even think about you are ready for mergers or getting acquired your team should be ready for it your product should be ready for it so what's the checklist for that so sure. let me first talk about from a, what is happening in the broader industry perspective right over the last 
many years, I would say 2018 onwards, the number of MA and the volume of MA, the total amount of MA that is happening is, is continuously increasing. Even yeah. post COVID, it is increasing. Yeah. And uh, this was a data that we put out maybe on, on a tweet or somewhere else very recently that the public market multiples have fallen down to 6x, 5x and below. But the m and multiples yes. have not fallen as much as the public market multiple. And that has been around 8x. So there is this firm called Software Equity Group that uh, does a lot of research and tracks the software-related and SaaS-related m that is happening. So this is the data pulled out of that. And they are saying that the m multiples have not fallen as much. Usually when you see in the, like, you know, the bubble days, the valuation multiple, both on the public market side and the private market side, they are much higher than the m multiples that you get. And people having sold multiple businesses that they don't get enamored by the valuation multiple that you get at the investment time. Because when you actually look at the multiple at an m level, you have to actually think about like, you know, one third or one half at best as a discount from that point of view, right? But right now, it's very unique time where m multiples are higher than the valuation multiples at an average level. Um, like, how do you yes. interpret that? And so it's very interesting. What it is saying is, is that there are a lot of people sitting with a lot of cash. Yes. Right? And those people are deploying cash to buy businesses, right? Especially when they are feeling very fearful. Businesses that are feeling very fearful are willing to like, you know, take money from others who have cash, right? And that is why you see deals like, you know, VMware getting acquired at a 4x multiple, things like that, right? A lot of PEs deploying cash that they have and then going and picking businesses. See, one thing if you think about from a software and a SaaS perspective, and this is historical, is, is that software and SaaS as a index of equities, they have done way better compared to any other comparison. In general, technology stocks have done way better. Technology and media. Yes. Like, you know, technology is done better than media. And within technology, software has done better than, yeah. like, you know, the broader tech index, right? And within that, you know, software has done well. And SaaS has done even better. And we are still in the early days of that. And that is what was said by software is eating the world statement by Anderson Horowitz, right? Software is eating the world. SaaS is eating software. And I would say that, you know, now we are seeing that, you know, capital efficient SaaS or value SaaS is eating SaaS, right? So that tells that like in the next 10 years, 20 years, this is going to be something which is not going to go down. It is not like real estate or it is not like oil companies where like, you know, they're not a sunrise industry, right? So this is definitely a sunrise industry. Now, yeah. given that we are finding a lot of these businesses are like huge amounts of discount. And therefore, people that have cash are going ahead and saying, okay, let me use that cash, put it to use, and really get good assets at this particular point in time. And that is why there is more MA happening, more volume of MA that is happening, while the expectation of some of the folks in the industry saying that, you know, the valuation should be really low. So that is the dynamic at a macro, at an industry level that is happening. And so, which is very, very interesting. There is also an India angle. Five years ago, Vishal, I used to be part of this special group called uh, Startup Bridge, where our mission was is to help Indian startups 
gain a lot of exposure at a global stage. And I would take about like, you know, top 20, 30 Indian starters, get them to the US, meet with cop devs, meet with partners and help them like, you know, meet with each other. And our goal was that, you know, the India-US cross-border deal should be at the same level as Israel. And one of the problems back then was that, correct a like, you know, founders need to become better in terms of positioning, in terms of packaging themselves for a global market. But then also this cross conversation was not happening. So this discovery was not happening. So we said, you know, if we ran conferences, if we ran round tables, could we make these connections happen? And that did happen. And several MAs were catalyzed by that, accelerated by that. I was part of at least uh, half a dozen of those uh, conversations. However, post COVID, that problem has gone away. What COVID has done is that you could close big customer deals over Zoom calls. You could close yes. investment over Zoom calls. You didn't have to have face-to-face meeting to close deals. Yeah. And that has also been seen yeah. in the MA world. I know in the last one, one and a half year, there are so many. One close friend of mine got acquired. I did a podcast with him. And I was working closely with him in his acquisition. Is this that okay. um, he was completely discovered inbound by two different players, right? CopDev reaches out to him for LinkedIn, right? So pre-COVID, That's this wow. is unimaginable <laughs> for me, right? Both investors and CopDev are always wanting to work in areas that like, like to talk to startups in within that driving range, right? Or within the flying range, right? Yes. So that discovery also has, discovery is a problem has changed. And then, like, you know, companies like MicroAcquire and Flippa at a very, very smaller level, the micro-application level, they have also solved the discovery problem. Yes. So what is happening in the SaaS and the acquisition, m thing that you asked about, Vishal, is that the discovery issue, which was a problem in 2016, is, is no more a problem in 2022, right? And that is why you are seeing a lot of buyers and sellers right, that are talking to each other. Mm. And then at a larger level, there is a lot of, like, you know, free cash that is sitting in. And it is saying that, look, in general, software has, like, great assets. And whenever it is available cheap, people are just swooping and saying that, look, I need to get involved. We're willing to get about, like, you know, 8x uh, multiple. So those are some of my comments at a macro level. At a micro level, uh, Nishant, the thing, from a founder perspective, what I would say is that, look, and I'm a big fan of m right? And I'd say this, and some don't agree with me. However, I still say this to founders, that as a founder, you should be ready for m at every given point in time. I'd argue that Satya Nadella would be willing to sell his company if somebody was willing to give him $10 trillion, right? So most of the founders, I mean, it's a question of like, what's the price? Of course, there are some bootstrap founders like Jason Fried, who may never do m like Sridhar Vambu, who may never do completely respect that unless you have that kind of resolve that you will never want to do it you want to sort of create a legacy right and build a legacy like company and right? you should yeah. be open to MA at all points in time and when people are looking at m a especially when SaaS, most people actually bucket their thinking into thinking that look m a is a multiple of the revenue that you have m a in general has never been a multiple of the revenue the multiple of the revenue is just like a post facto conversation that is where I'd like to tell a story of how m happens, right? And this is from the days of how, when I used to work on that organization that helped uh, catalyze cross-border m Every startup is just like, 
this boat that is going on a voyage of a treasure hunt right and every year many many boats go out but if you are going on a treasure hunt and if you are just rowing on through your oar it is going to be very difficult so what you need to do is you need to pick tailwinds and using the tailwinds is what will allow you to sort of move really faster right when you take this journey for many many years you reach the treasure island somebody who hits the jackpot they make a boatload of money and then some of them we call as facebook uber or something else and every 5 6 years you find all these like you know big successes 30 years ago apple and microsoft started and they hit their jackpot but what happens is once they hit the jackpot then they are like you know they feel a little purposeless in their life like once you win a game like what do i do next i won the game then you say okay you know i have won this voyage so i will go again on a voyage right so i won the voyage of uh, being the biggest and the best in personal computers so i will now go ahead and say iot is the next big thing so every point in time you will find always this next big opportunity that is out there and there are always younger startups a smaller boat that is going on on a voyage and they are in competition with all these other big boys who won jackpot in one treasure island hunt before and they are saying what is the next one so you might be an iot platform today and then say i'm going to go after you know iot is the next big enterprise opportunity right and microsoft also may be going there and when you are going together when you come under the radar of microsoft and microsoft is oh my god look at the small boat it can run faster and reach the island and you know win the prize before me and if that market is a winner takes all, all market mm. then they are like look if they win then we are dead it doesn't matter how old we were and how big we are right so this big company true yes and you the small boat running after the same opportunity because you are leveraging a certain tailwind and then the captain of the ship he has this you know unique combination of both fear and greed like you know overpowering his thinking and like look what if i took the engine of that startup and ran to the treasure island faster myself right or like you know if this startup like goes there then it could kill me and at that moment is is what leads to people making m and a offer so what is critical there is you need to be in the radar you need to pick the right tailwind you need to be able to know that you know are you going towards the right treasure island and when you have this conversation together then it leads to m and a right so m and a is the story of fear meets greed on a treasure hunter journey and this has got very little to do with the <laughs> amount of revenue progress that you have made right but then once you end up having the valuation okay. conversation then you have to give some justification then you can say you know what it is 8x arr or like 6x arr so that is what explains a yes. small company with three or four people that is let's say working on building a a startup on top of open ai right or gpt3 right with very little revenue and getting acquired mm-hmm. right and a company which is having 10 million dollars and has become 11 million dollars in next year is not getting acquired yes happening a lot gpt3 is uh, seeing a lot of startups in it so yeah so that's the tailwind right you know because uh, like something interesting has happened in technology and yeah. it's unlocked a certain amount of productivity a certain amount of accuracy which was not thought to be possible before and that is creating a lot of Correct. opportunity right and if there are multiple people who are chasing it and they have this fear and they have this greed that is triggering them can lead to a lot of amine true yes true 
Wow. All right. Okay, oh, we're almost done with the business related questions and now we would like to add this end part of it. We would like to get to the outlier we call as the outlier questions like the surprise questions that we never sent out. <laughs> so so if you are up for it, we would like to spend like the next 15 minutes around this thing. Yeah. All right. Okay. So Rajan, you have like worked over the last two decades like so much in so many companies. You have worked with so many problems. You have worked with so many SaaS companies. You were building Opeka in last five years. You have worked with hundred plus SaaS SaaS companies, and you are like doing so many things at this time. But while you were doing so many things, did you ever thought that you would get a chance to come on our show? Oh man, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea that I will come. <laughs> But I'm glad that you know that eventually happened. Okay. <laughs> okay. In an awkward instance that occurred when when you were working with these SaaS founders, like what top of the mind that yeah this was awkward <laughs> like anything that comes into your mind in your opeka journey over the last 5 years <laughs> and i have to think about it awkward journey okay see, one thing about yeah so something that stands see, out see anything awkward we actually clip it as in like you know anything that is a surprise like <laughs> okay. i told you about like you know okay so you know, <laughs> okay. Now, how, what's the lemonade out of this right so I mean, so give every yeah, every time yeah. I turned an awkward into a lemonade, right? And said, "Okay, this is great." Okay, I think you know one way to think about for me would be like you know what is an interesting story to tell. So we any awkward situation that would have yeah. we would have never mm-hmm. let uh, any awkward situation go because we would have made a at least a story out of it. That <laughs> 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 you know it is a it is an interesting story. Mm-hmm. For me. it's not awkward but um i have had this conversation with time and again with founders this is the exact thing that we were talking about right so one of the things that um that always happens is like every year i have like you know dozens of amani conversation and people have this thing about i mean i won't take names but there are uh, specific startups where the first conversation that we are having is okay we are having this amani conversation and then like ours is that this amount of um, like you know arr and you know they are only going to give us 3x or 4x because that's what a pe is going to do and then completely just bankering ourselves there and then when i continue to push and say okay let us align the strategic direction and thinking and then let's find out what is it that are alternates that they are looking at and then anchor the pricing around it that leads to a lot of resistance right when initially having having such conversation and then once the deal gets over every time people would be like oh my god i could have told 3x of the number and it would have still been okay and right? so so this is all i find this as a very very i mean i find this awkward right in the in 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 one sense this is that um yeah this only after you go through the experience then you you know say oh yeah man i could have gotten more I could have gotten one. <laughs> yeah. If only that had happened. If I had only okay. asked for more. All right. <laughs> I mean, what if the person must be thinking, yeah, even if I ask for it's like twenty percent more, more, what if they um, reject me? Four hundred percent more. He's talking about three x. He's talking about three x. I'm talking about when the person quoted it the first time. You know. it must be going in their mind okay i cannot quote more than that otherwise they'll just reject yeah. it 
Absolutely. And from a point, you are like, oh, I should have quoted yeah. 200% more. <laughs> so one of the things, see, I wouldn't call, see, these are all, I would call it as mindset flips, right? So um, one of the biggest mindset flips that I have seen this across the last eight years is, is most people are afraid to raise prices. Right? And Okay. I've read a lot of it about, you're always pushing that. Okay, be okay to raise your prices. Absolutely. Find your value. Absolutely. That's, uh, Rajan is a huge proponent of it, which I must be knowing already. But yeah, that's something I truly admire. People are, even I am at times uh, afraid of, okay, I should not raise prices. You know, what if the other person says no, they're already maybe not as ready for it. And if I raise prices, it's going to be a sure shot. No, that's the thought process. And after reading through your content, I actually wanted to... So one, yeah, one uh, specific thing that I can talk about is Social Pilot is one of the startups that we work with. And I worked with startups in the same space two years before we worked with uh, Social uh, Pilot. They put themselves for acquisition. The other two startups that I had worked before. But Social Pilot, they've crossed like, you know, way more than 5 million in ARR. And they were one of the fastest to sort of even get to about a million dollar in ARR. And there is a there is a blog post and also a video mm. on our blog where um, Tejas, one of the founders, he says, like, you know, what are some of the reasons yes. that led us to get to across a million dollars in ARR? And he says, look, we worked on churn. We were working on SMB and that, you know, a cohort-based churn is something that we were not tracking. We tracked it and then we took a control of the churn. But the most important lever for us, for us was actually increasing pricing. And there's this one moment where yes. Tejas says, that, look, um, we were very afraid of raising pricing. We were $10 or $20 product back then. Mm. And then Prasanna threatened us that if we don't raise pricing, then he will throw us out of the cohort. <laughs> <laughs> then, okay, yeah. that's one way to do it. <laughs> I mean, it was an awkward moment at that particular point in time. But they just said, we didn't want to get thrown out of the cohort. <laughs> so we were forced to raise pricing. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I, uh-huh. I've, I've met Tejas and Jim. I, that was in 2018, 2019. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> obviously, they've, they've grown yeah, and, a lot and, after that time. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the, the two most important levers of growth for them from an early stage perspective are these two. And uh, pricing such an important mm. it is it is absolutely i mean i know i have seen instances where people have like gone out and increased their pricing suddenly the number of converts has gone down the next week they have changed it back to their old pricing because so i will i will go back to my old pricing so yeah i've seen that i've gone through that so we have seen that over there so actually i have you. a question to that yeah <laughs> go ahead <laughs> Yes. When do you know you are ready to raise prices? Also, like one of our founders, he says that, look, every year you should be raising 20% for sure. Right. And Krish, uh, uh, okay. okay. he says this really well. If you actually open his page on internet uh, archive.org and then look at the pricing page and look at like, you know, archive.org gives you uh, like a timeline of how mm. this page was like, you know, indexed and re-indexed. Wayback machine. You will see that they have yeah, the Wayback Machine, right? Um, so you will see that, you know, the pricing page went through updates every month, right? So you, nice. 
No, I was talking to a PLG expert and he said to me, Vishal, the way to get more conversion is through pricing. You play with pricing and you get more conversion. I, I remember his talk with him. He stayed out of Europe, but he just came out of like, uh, said, he, he said, I'm the only product manager who was made responsible for revenue. So I played with pricing all the time. And and, and that, that's what he did. Like he, he was explaining his journey to me like, yeah, that's what I did. And that's how I raised revenue. <laughs> like I, I kept on, I kept on changing pricing. I kept on, uh, I kept on experimenting with it. And, and that's how, that's how I did it. And now I do it for other companies. I yeah. do that. So, uh, yeah. to, so to actually add one more point, uh, Nishant, your question is, is that, see, you get a better sense of your pricing, but knowing what your value is. We actually talk about this in this way. We say that you know, like a price is a number. If you put it on a number line, it is after cost and before value. Right? So if you, if you plot a number line and say, hey, here's a product that I built. It cost me X dollars. And I know through some way that this is value is this $100. So you can randomly pick a number between 10 and 100. Right? Except that this particular mm-hmm. number is, is doing a sumo fight with your competitor's price. Because if the competitor is, is going to say that, you know, he's available for $9 and you are saying that, you know, it is going to cost you like, you know, $15, then you are in a bad industry because he's he's selling at below cost, right? But if your competitor is saying that he's worth $15 and if you charge $16, then you will have conversion issues, right? So a price is this number, which is cost plus and value minus. It is always doing a sumo fight with your competitor. The problem is, is, we don't have a good understanding of what that value is. When you have a good understanding of okay. that value, is this where you are able to adjust the pricing? Yep. And that value comes through customer okay. conversation. Exactly. That value comes through, like, you know, confirming with the customer that the gain in their life is this, how you had designed it and how they perceive it. Right. And you are also yeah. able to have a good understanding about, like, what are the alternates that they are considering. Okay. Yeah. So then you are able to position yourself first, yes. right? And then say, okay, he, since I'm yeah. delivering this value, I'm able to articulate this value to you. Therefore, I'm charging this pricing. So pricing, therefore, has like a very tight relationship with positioning and how you're packaging it, right? How you're framing the yeah. value for the customer. Then um, nobody minds it, right? And then there are like a lot of these studies, it says like, you know, if you've not provided the pricing in the right context, Right, then like that particular pricing is not going to work. So you'll have a default, an anchor, and then you know the number that you're pushing. Right. So you have to present your pricing in that structure so that people are able to make choices. Right. Okay. Now coming back to our bench for Tiffin. So yes. <laughs> so if you could eat anything you wanted without getting fat. I mean, which I'm doing right now, I'm eating a lot of paneer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. 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 All right. Okay. Uh, and if you had a choice between two superpowers, being invisible or flying, what would you choose? Being invisible or flying? Yeah, I prefer invisible. Okay. You can't be invisible <laughs> after eating honey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll tell you why I picked invisible, right? Um, <laughs> See, because you ate all the honey. I mean, now people are after you. <laughs> well, I mean, if you cannot eat a lot of honey, you cannot eat a lot of honey and fly also. Right? <laughs> 
Yeah, I had this belief that, you know, um, most of the folks, I mean, if you look at today's day and age, right, you know, everybody is, is always trying to be on, always trying to build a brand, um, which I which I think is very, very essential. I mean, I help uh, yeah. a lot of founders build their brand. But anything, I have this belief that, you know, anything more than a thousand fans is actually more reliability. Yeah. And I feel very sorry for people who are like these uh, celebrities and um, yeah. and they have like people constantly like acting as a mob, uh, like, you know, mobbing them and saying, okay, I want to take selfie with you. I'm like, oh my God, this guy can never do what he wants to do. Right? Yeah. So uh, I think it's a Naval quote, right? Where he says, you know, you want to be anonymous and rich and not like uh, famous and poor. <laughs> uh, we would like to ask you, like, what are the three people who have been the most influential to you? Um, these are people that I've not worked with. I think I may have also written a blog post. I would say three people. One is Nawal Ravikant, uh, Naseem Taleb, Nicholas Taleb, and then the third one is Seth Godin. As a very specific reason, um, I actually um, I put them in three different buckets. Any topic, I say that there are, uh, there are three ways to explain this. One is the bhajan level, the Veda level, and the Gita level, right? Yeah. Which is like, you know, Veda level is his first principles. Gita level is his like mental models. And bhajan level is his uh, metaphors. Yeah. Right. And someone like Nicholas Taleb is just like one of the, I mean, he has this very hated personality. He's a polarized personality, right? You know, he cusses and then, you know, um, he, he, there are many people who don't like him, right? He, he doesn't come across as a nice and a likable guy, but he doesn't uh, give any consideration to that. He doesn't care. But he is an original thinker. Some of his ideas have been very, very influential in my own thinking about how do I think about uncertainty, how to make choices, decisions, etc. In fact, I have compressed a lot of his books and translated it to bhajan level, having conversation with my nephew. So I would put uh, Nicholas Taleb at the uh, Veda level, right? like true original thinker. But the Gita level, this is where I'd put a Naval Ravikant. Even though you can argue that he's also a first principle thinker, but he's able to translate it better. Right? He's able to break it down into mental models that a lot of people are able to resonate with. Yes. Um, I'd also put Seth Gordon at that level. Seth Gordon is considered like you know one of the greatest marketers of our time. But he is someone who is able to think at the Veda level mm. and have conversation at a Gita level. But he breaks it down into things like purple cow and like, you know, all marketers are buyers. True. Right? This is marketing. Right? And those type of metaphors through which all these true original ideas can be translated and mass propagated. Mm. Right? So for me, these three folks, I'm like a big fan. They have had, had uh, yeah. a lot of influence on my thinking. Because they are at this uh, different level. And I'm like, you know, if I were to just pick one person, I would say it's Seth Godin. Because he's one, yeah. someone who can go across all these three levels and do it very, very comfortably. But someone like Nicholas Nassim Taleb, though he's like a great thinker, but he's absolutely horrible in uh, trying to like have conversation with normal like models. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. And he, okay. he writes a book in such a way to repel wow. the rest of the force, right? You know, he, he'll write it in such a terse way. He wrote anti-fragile, mm -hmm. it is this thick. This is like, look, I wrote this this way because I don't want, you know, all these, uh, like, you know, posers, fake posers to come and, uh, like, you know, talk about uh, my book. I want the real, uh, like, you know, the intellectual to come and appreciate. And that's why he talks about gender inequality, <laughs> convexity, and things like that in the anti-fragile book. 
Okay, I've simplified it a lot more simpler. Okay, that explains why you are a big proponent of metaphors in daily life as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I I love metaphors, and I call a metaphor is this rickety <laughs> sofa in your head, on top of which you can place complex ideas wow. to understand more. But you have to start mm-hmm. with this rickety structure, and it is rickety. You have to, but you start there, and then you know you can build okay. on top of that. But many many of these first principle thinkers absolutely hate uh, <laughs> Nicholas Nassim. Any day if I meet uh, Talib, I'm pretty sure he will hate me because I've taken some of his ideas and tried to turn it into a metaphor. And I wrote this thread which became viral, and I've put turned this into like a PDF and I put it on wow. my website. And I'm pretty sure he will hate me because I took his the uh, first principle idea and tried to turn wow. them. Into <laughs> would be an interesting <laughs> conversation. Okay. Wow. All right, that ends us with the second section. We have a third section, which is which we call Fast Five. Nishan takes it. We have like five questions for you. Answer it very fast. Whatever comes the first in your mind, nothing like a <laughs> fast. We call it the Fast Five round. Just, just, uh, just no thinking, please. That's it. Whatever this comes to like your mind. What a rapid fire with Karan Johar. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So over to you, Nishan. All right. So, uh, ready? Yep. Yeah. All right. So, what's your favorite food? Um, makki ki roti, sarso ka saag. Oof. Oh my god! Favorite You're memory? Born, born in wrong place. Okay. <laughs> I was not in wrong. I, I okay. You said fast five. I have an explanation why it is. <laughs> I never said I will. I will try to. I, I will always try to not not let you win the fast five. Right? <laughs> okay. Getting back. Right, getting back. What's your favorite memory? Favorite memory was uh, when many uh, okay. So the most favorite memory <laughs> I would say is is when my uh, kid and my nephew was born. Oh wow! Okay. What's one thing you are grateful for? Uh, I'm alive today uh, because after COVID, um, like you know, went through all of us went through um, like all kinds of crazy shit. Oh, like you know, I had to be in the hospital for about six, seven days. It was not as bad as many other people, but then that made me pause and say, like, look, there is a lot of work that you could do, but then you have to be grateful. Yeah. For, like I'm grateful for the friends, and then I would say fifty percent luck that I'm alive today. So I'm very, very yeah. grateful. I'm actually grateful for the friends and the colleagues that worked with me. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. And who's the one person you cannot live without? I cannot live without. Actually, there's nobody like that. Oh my god! Normally, normally people end up saying my wife, my <laughs> husband. Right? <laughs> okay, I'm quite but, comfortable but, being alone. But you are the purple cow in this. Like, no one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yep. Okay. So, if you're not working, what are you doing? I'm reading. What? The three guys. First principles to metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> actually, like like good stories, right? So I'm actually. Okay. Wow, that's okay. beautiful. Even All I right. love stories. That's why. Thank you, thank you so much, Rajan, for being such a sport, and thank you, thank you so much for taking our time. We almost like went about time, and thank you for for giving us and on this. No problem. I had so much fun. I didn't know that you know there is this. Section two and section three is gonna come up. Yeah, yeah, we 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 keep it just for this thing. But thank you so much. One last question. 
uh, where can listeners find you online uh, on twitter mt rajan in fact you know my colleagues many founders know that you know if they want my attention the faster they dm me <laughs> wow <laughs> thank you rajan i hope you enjoyed this conversation with rajan because we certainly did rajan is one of the most prominent personalities in the saas world and it would be a shame if you had missed out on this so now you have a task have a conversation with all your founder friends and tell them about what rajan taught you here share the knowledge help them succeed and i would really appreciate if you would share one takeaway from this episode and if there's someone you want to ask questions tell us and we'll bring that person on this podcast and pick their brains asking questions you want answers to and i'll see you in the next episode of sas backstage podcast